Genesis chapter number 25. I want to remind you, you know, service tonight's at five. <laughs> Everybody's been mad at me over changing it to five. It's going to be tickled to death tonight when you get home in time to see the kickoff of the Super Bowl. Amen. So, <laughs> so y'all will be taking back all that bad stuff you said about five o'clock when you get home in time to see the Super Bowl. Frank shaking his head. He said, there's a, there's a ball game? Oh, you don't know about There's a ball game? And remember, uh, we still have services on Wednesday night. Some of you might have forgot, but we are having services on Wednesday night. And there at 7. We'd love to have you. And, uh, you know, when you don't come on Wednesday nights, you're, catch, you're casting your vote to not have any more Wednesday night services. Isn't that something? I mean, really, that's what you're doing. You cast your vote. I don't care about Wednesday night. Be here on Wednesday night. It's important. It's important. I need that boost on Wednesday night. Get me through the rest of the week. Genesis chapter number 25. I want to read a few verses of scripture. I'll just read eight verses. And uh, you pray for us this week. We'll be preaching in uh, cashiers tomorrow night in revival meeting. You pray for us as we travel. Genesis chapter number 25. And we'll start our reading this morning, verse number 20. The Bible said, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Panam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. And they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out and took his hand and took hold of Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name that you'd help in the service time this morning. Our heart in these days has been to help these young families in our church. And I pray, God, that you would help us to do that today. And I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit of God would work in these homes, uh, Lord, across this congregation. Lord, that you'd do a great work. And Father, for everything that you do, we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We'll continue this morning looking at marriage in Genesis, marriages in Genesis. 
And like I told you last week, there are four great men at the end of Genesis. That is, of course, uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, and Joseph. And each of these men had wives and their stories of their marriages are found in these pages. And I believe that God could speak to us about our marriages by looking at these four marriages of these great patriarchs. Now, last week we talked about Abraham and Sarah, and I preached to you about a stained marriage because it was that with the way that Ishmael was conceived and brought forth of Hagar, that put a stain on their marriage. But I'm glad we learned last week that a stained marriage doesn't mean it has to be an ended marriage. Amen. You can overcome a stain in your marriage. Uh, This morning, I want us to think a little while uh, as we look at uh, the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah, I want us to think a little while about a strained marriage, uh, a strained marriage. Uh, Now, out of all the couples that we're going to talk about this month, uh, Perhaps Isaac and Rebecca had the greatest potential. Isaac was, of course, the miracle son of Abraham and Sarah. He was the promised seed. And Abraham was, of course, the father of the faithful. And he'd sent his servant to search out a bride for Isaac back in their home country. And so that servant goes back and he finds beautiful Rebecca. And you remember the story how that he went down there by the pool and uh, he prayed that God would send the right woman uh, and that when she come, uh, she would offer to offer him water for him and his camels. And sure enough, he did. Uh, and then the story about how he went back home with Rebecca and he told her about Isaac uh, and she decided on her own to ride those camels of grace back across the desert uh, and marry Isaac. What a grand potential. This uh, uh, this family had, you would have thought they would have been more said about Isaac and Rebecca's marriage than any other marriage in the Bible. Uh, it looked like they were set up by friend uh, to have the perfect marriage. But what we'll see today in our story uh, is that there is a strain that comes on the marriage. Uh, their marriage started of one of love and romance in the beginning, uh, but the problems would come in that would drive a wedge between Isaac and Rebecca, and as a matter of fact they end up with less said about their marriage than any of the others even though they had such a great potential my friend they allowed their marriage to fall apart they allowed their families to fall apart and it's a cautionary tale of what can happen in a marriage when you allow strain to overtake I want us to think just about three things this morning, and I trust the Lord will help us. First of all, I want you to think with me about the fervency that they lost. The fervency that they lost. Now, how was it that Rebecca and Isaac's marriage began? Well, you can read in Genesis 24 and verse number 67, the Bible said, And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent 
and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And so if there were two words that would have described the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah to start with, it was love and comfort. His mother had just died and he was heartbroken. He loved his mother and she had died and he was heartbroken. Abraham seen that that was the kind of heartbreak that only a woman could heal. Now I'm going to tell you, you men know that I'm telling you right. Sometimes in a man's life, things come into his life that his friends can't help him with. Things come into his life that his work partners can't help him with. Sometimes it's only the comfort of a woman that God has given him to be his wife uh, that can help him through a lot of the difficult storms of life. Uh, and so Abraham saw that Isaac needed a wife. Uh, and when, uh, when Rebecca came, uh, uh, she, was, uh, she was a comfort to Isaac. Uh, and the Bible said that Isaac loved her. Uh, well, isn't that a pretty good start to a marriage, uh, uh, my friend, where there's love and comfort? Uh, uh, can I say to you men that that God has commanded us to love our wives even as Christ loved the church. Hey, can I say to you women, you ought to be a comfort to your husband. You ought never to be a worrisome of mind to him. You hadn't ought to ever pull him down, but you ought to build him up. Men, you ought to love her, and ladies, you ought to comfort him. That is the way their marriage started. So it started out pretty good. So we see their start. And then I want you to notice their sport. The Bible said in Genesis 26 and 8, and it came to pass when he'd been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. I like that. He was sporting with her. And I looked that up. Uh, what that word sport, and it means to, 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 to be together playfully, <laughs> to be enjoying one another's company, to be laughing and engaged in happiness. And here we see that at least at the beginning of their marriage, Isaac and Rebecca have got things figured out. They're laughing and joking and sporting with one another. Can I say to you, listen to me, if you've been married for uh, two months or 30 years, you hadn't ought to ever allow that uh, aspect of sporting, uh, that sporting with your uh, partner, you hadn't ought to ever let that go away. There ought to be always in that relationship, that man pursuing that woman, that woman loving that man and admiring him and a atmosphere of playfulness and joy should pervade the home. I, I tell you, it's a, it's a terrible life when there's nothing but trouble in the home. I, there ought to be joy. A Christian's, a Christian's home I, ought to be a place of laughter and singing. I, I'm just telling you the truth. I, it ought to be a place where there's constant argument. It ought to be a place where it's constant shouting. But the home of the Christian should be a home that's full of joy. I believe that's the will of God for every family at the Concord Baptist Church is to have a home full of joy. And we see that Isaac and 
Rebecca, they had a heart full of joy. So we see they're starred in their sport. But notice their shortcoming. Chapter 26 tells us of their sporting. But if you look and study chapter 26, you'll find the occasion of that is that Isaac, following the leadership of Abraham, he had made the, he had the same problem that Abraham was, and that was simply that he had married out of his league. Like I told you last week with Sarah, Rebecca was just too blame pretty. And so, a learned behavior. Isaac, just as Abraham, tries to pass Rebecca off as his sister. Now, that's a learned behavior. It's weird, but it's a learned behavior. And like I told you last week, it's kind of a backward sort of jealousy. And uh, because he was so jealous of Rebecca because of her beauty that he thought he'd get killed over. Same as his daddy. Now, I'm going to make a statement right here. You listen to what I'm saying. Abraham and Sarah's relationship was never the same after jealousy entered in. And what we're going to see is that Rebecca and Isaac's relationship is never going to be the same after jealousy has entered in. Jealousy is a green-eyed monster. My friend, there's never anything good that's ever came out of it. It's a relationship killer. Amen. Uh, you can be jealous of, uh, of your spouse and think, well, somebody's going to look at them like it was here with Isaac. Uh, or you can be jealous of their job or jealous of their freedom or jealous of their friends. Uh, there's all kinds of jealousy that can enter into a home, uh, but it never works out. It never brings honor. It never brings joy. Uh, it brings nothing but suffering. Uh, and I believe it was the start of of the problem between Isaac and Rebecca. I can remember growing up as a young Christian. I, I used to hear preachers plow the row on jealousy, but it's something that you don't hear talked about much anymore because if there are two sins that this generation is guilty of, it's pride and jealousy. My friend, it's all over. You can see it all over social media this morning. Hey, we're proud and we're jealous. And both of those sins are family. Family killers, family killers. Pride and jealousy. So we see their shortcomings. That's the fervency they lost. They started out good. They started out so good. But I want you to think this morning for just a few minutes about the favorites that they had. When those kids came into their lives... It really started driving a wedge between Isaac and Rebecca. And I'm going to say this. I've been around this thing a long time. And I've seen it on more than one occasion that the children drive a wedge between the parents. And that's not the child's fault. The child just does what the parents enable them to do. But if you create a monster out of your kid... Your kid's going to be a monster. Parents allow kids to get up older and then they say to me, I don't know what happened. But children by and large are what you raise them to be. 
It's like John Maxwell said that regardless of how much he and his wife tried to instruct their children, they insisted on acting just like them. And that's the truth. They made this problem. It wasn't that uh, it wasn't Esau and Jacob's problem. Isaac and Rebekah made them a problem. Number one, because they divided their love. I've got three children. And I'll, uh, I'll kid with them occasionally when they do something good. I'll say, you're the favorite. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I don't have one that I love any more than the other. My relationship is different with all three. All three of my children, I have a different relationship. You know why? Because they are different people. But my love is the same for all three as far as how I love them. I love them all the same. I love them all the same. But once you start having a divided love, once you start playing favorites, especially when the mama has one favorite and the daddy has another favorite, then it brings a division into the home. It starts to drive a wedge between the parents. There was a divided love in the house and that'll never work. But then there was a divided loyalty. Now, I'm gonna, this right here is really where I want you, this is really the crux of the message right here. Really, when you study this, Esau is a picture of the flesh, and Jacob is a picture of the will of God. You know the mistake Jacob and Rebekah made was they got ahead. Of, they tried to get ahead of God. God done said he was going to make the, young, the older serve the younger. That was a done deal, but they should have just waited on God, let God do it. They made a mess out of it by trying to get ahead of God, and that will always make a mess out of your life when you try to get ahead of God. But what they did was... What it's a picture of, Esau's a picture of the flesh. Everything about it, he pleased Isaac's flesh. Now let's just be honest. You men that are here in the room, if you had two boys and one of them, bless goodness, was a football player and a star athlete, he played football all week and come home, got his gun, went out and killed deer and kept, deer, kept a freezer full of deer meat. And the other boy stayed at home all week in his room working on a computer and helping his mama bake biscuits. Huh? Down deep in our hearts, we'd be probably like, we like that other boy better. I tell you what, that star athlete, whoo, that's my boy. Look at that. And look, he killed all them deers. And that's the way it was. And that's the way it was in Isaac and Rebecca's house. But it, it pleased Isaac. Really what boiled down to is it pleased Isaac's flesh. Hey, you daddies, I, I'm used Demsdale right here because he had that boy run all them touchdowns this year. Well, he wanted him to run touchdowns because he wants him to do good and he wants him to, he wants him to uh, uh, get into a good college and he wants him, you know, everybody to like him. But really down deep on the inside when he's running them touchdowns, it's a whole lot about Demsdale. He's like, look at that. That's my boy. That's my boy. Hey, everybody, my boy, my boy. Most, uh, most ball games I ever played, my daddy left before I got to get off the court. <laughs> He said, I don't know who that boy is. <laughs> Whose kid is this? Whose kid is this? 
I wasn't much good. It appeals to our flesh, though. And so it's a picture of a desire that Isaac had to fulfill the desires of his flesh. But Rebekah had a desire to fulfill the will of God. And that caused a problem in their marriage because one was fleshly and the other was godly. I'm telling you, you don't talk about causing a problem. When you've got one, when you're unequally yoked, when you've got one member of the family that's hooked up with God and going for God and the other member could care less, that's a problem. That'll always cause strife. You know what would be the best thing to ever happen to everybody's marriage in here is if you all get on the same page spiritually. And I mean both of you get filled with the Holy Ghost, get excited about church, get excited about the things of God. It's the greatest thing. You say, well, uh, what could we do for our marriage to help our marriage? And there's a thousand different pieces of advice that I could give you that will help your marriage. And I, I tell you, and I mean things that would work, but the number one thing is y'all need to get on the same page when it comes to serving the Lord. You need to get stirred up and fired up about serving God together. Look at this church as an opportunity for your family to be a minister to have a ministry and to minister to other people and be here with bells on every time the door's open, ready to go to meet and ready to serve God, praying together, reading your Bibles together, studying the Word of God together. I'm telling you, if you'll do that, your marriage will prosper. They had a divided family, divided loyalties, divided loves, it was the favorites that they had. But lastly, and I'm done right here. I want you to notice the family that they ruined. You see, mine and, mine and Rachel's relationship isn't just about me and Rachel. That's what people fail to see about marriage. We get selfish about it. Well, I don't like the way she said that, doesn't that? Blah, blah, blah. You can't run over me. Ain't nobody running over me. I'm a man. She say, that, that sorry rascal, he ain't half a man the other men that church is. I swear if he, he'd do like he'd do like some of these other men. If he's like my daddy, I wish he'd more like my daddy. Huh? He says, I wish she'd make biscuits like my mama. And she says, I would if you'd make dough like my daddy. And they think it's all about them that we're, we're selfish that way. And we don't realize that at that house are kids that are soaking it all up every day. My kids, for all intents and purposes, are raised. I'm just trying to finesse a few things out of them now. I mean, you've put in the, you've put in the body of work by the time they get to be a teenager. The body of work's there. One way or the other. The rest of it's just finessing. You're not going to change much. Past, past 13, past 13, and you ain't changing much. You know, they say that Isaac was 13 years old, or 12 years old. He was 12 years old when Abraham took him up to sacrifice him on Moriah, 12. And the reason he was 12 was because if he'd been a teenager, it wouldn't have been much of a sacrifice. Because... <laughs> 
Abraham would have been like, thank you, Lord. I'm going to take him up there. Yes, sir. I'll have him up there tomorrow. <laughs> Once you get them to the teenage years, you've put in them what you put in them. And so those of you that got small children, as you parents live out your married life, they're soaking it up. They're living it. They're living in it. They're soaking in it. And they're going to be like you. They're going to have a marriage like you. You say, no, that they will. Almost 100% of the time, their marriages are going to be just like your marriage. Because that's where they learn it. That's where they learn how to be married, how to be a man, how to be a woman. These two, Isaac and Rebekah, they had become very selfish and made things all about themselves and it caused a mess in their family. Let me show you Genesis 26 and 34. And Esau was 40 years old when he took the wife Judith, the daughter of Berai the Hittite, and Basimeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. You see, because of the way they had raised, the way they had raised Esau, he did, he went out and took two, not just one, but two wives of the Gentiles. Two wives of the Gentiles. And the Bible said, it was a grief of mind. I see them as they sat down for dinner at night. Rebecca, she, her face is red where she's cried fresh tears for her boy. And they sat down and Isaac says, I don't know where we went wrong. That boy of mine, I loved him so much. He was always bringing me dear meat. Man, could he hunt. I don't know where we went wrong. Not just one, but two women. The Bible said it's a grief of mind. Some of you older parents, you're understanding what I'm talking about. Days thought about grown children and then becoming a grief of mind. What happened? Just a grief of mind, always on your mind. Wondering about, well... Did I do something wrong? Could I have done something different? Was there something I could have done better? Every day that Isaac and Rebecca got up, they got up with that grief of mind. Watch this. Watch this. Let me show you something. Look at the dispersion that ensued. Genesis chapter number 28, verse 5. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padan Aram under Laban, son of Bethel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. And when Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take him a wife from thence, and that he blessed him and gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Padan Aram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan passed not Isaac his father, then it went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto him wives of the Malachite, 
and daughter of Ishmael, Abram's son, the sister of Naboth, to be his wife. Let me paint you this picture and I'm done. It started small. Isaac and Rebekah had a great, perfect, wonderful marriage. But a little jealousy crept in. Then the kids came and they treated one different than the other. But pfft, all parents do that, right? Isaac liked the things of the flesh and Rebekah liked the things of God. But that's okay. I mean, that's just kind of how it is. We live in this world, right? But see, what happens is a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And now, Isaac and Rebekah are sitting at a dinner table with an empty house. Because their kids are gone. Before they know it, they've destroyed their home. Isn't that sad? It's about the saddest thing I can think of. It's about the saddest thing I can think of. They sat around that dinner table and the house is is silent. Maybe they don't even talk anymore. Little by little they ruined their marriage and in the end it ruined their children. I'm going to give you something interesting right here on closing. I got to thinking about Rebecca's death and Isaac's death. I got to wondering, of course, I know where Rebecca's buried. She's buried next to Sarah. But you know, I can't find in the Bible where Rebecca died. Isn't that interesting? We find where Sarah died. We'll study Rachel next week and we'll see where Rachel died. But I don't find anywhere where Rebecca died. You know why I believe that is? I think she died the day them boys left home. Oh, she may have lived physically after that. But inside she died. As them boys took off and left home, one of them to go out and live the wildest desires of his flesh, the other one on the run for his life. I wonder if Rebecca looked at it and thought, I wish I'd have done different. I hate I messed this up. Now, would you listen to me, and I'm going to be real careful how I say this. Some of you younger parents got little kids. There's parents in this building tonight, this morning, that if they were to be honest, they would stand up and look at you and say, there's things I wish I'd have done different when my kids were small like yours. If I could go back and have my kids small like yours, there's things I would have done different. Listen to me now. There would be people stand up and give testimony after testimony in this building and say, 
If I could go back when my kids were small like your kids are small, I would have done things differently so that the end would be different than what it is. But you see, once it's done, it's done. All you can do is pray for them that they'll come back. Uh, uh, When they're grown and they're away from God, all you can do at that point is pray for them. But you parents that have got small kids, you've got a chance. You've got an opportunity. Don't mess it up. Don't be that one that someday will have to stand up and say, I wish I'd have done different. If I'd have done different, my kids might have been in better shape. That little booger, come here. That little booger, this little booger right here. Got his preaching outfit on today. I thought, Melissa, that I was bringing my crew across the finish line. Matter of fact, I said that day Trey got married. We got in the car and Rachel was reaping, crying, oh, boy. I said, forget that. We got one across the finish line. That's the time for woo. But then along came Miss Booger. What's he going to be? What's he going to be? It'll depend on what you two are. And now's the time while he's this size to make up your mind that you're going to make something out of him. Because it's not about you two anymore. You got to put, put aside your selfishness. Say, we got a kid to invest in. We got a kid that we want to turn out right. We got a kid that we want to make something out. Are you listening to me? You parents that have small children, you should get around this altar today and say, Lord, help me to quit being selfish and making everything about me. We got a young one that's got, we got, to, we got to train him up. We got to show him or her the right way. We got to lead them the right way. We want them to make something. We want them to be saved and go to heaven. We want them to live right and do right. We need that. Oh, Lord, help us to be the family. That you'd have for us to be. Let's stand at our feet. Father, thank you, Lord, for helping us to preach the word of God this morning. These families in here, Lord, got little bitty kids with an opportunity. It's like a blank slate. They can paint or color in anything they want. Help them today to commit their lives to have children that are going to mean something in life. Do that now as only you can, and we'll thank you for all that's accomplished in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm not having anybody play on the piano. I'm just going to ask you right now, just in the stillness of this hour, if there would be some parents of children, some families, that'd be interested enough in the outcome of their kids' lives to gather around this altar and say, Lord, would you help us to put aside selfishness? Would you help us to invest in our children in such a way that they would turn out to be somebody? Would you help us to understand it's not about us, but it's about those little boogers and what they're going to become and what they're going to be. Maybe there might be some parents of older children and you'd say, preacher, I'll just be honest with you. My kids are away from God. 
but I don't want to miss this opportunity. I'd like to come and get around this altar and ask God to help my children, my older children that are away from God. I, I just want to come and pray and ask the Lord to help them to come back and be where they need to be and be what they need to be. As this altar fills up, there's still room for you today as the Lord can touch our hearts in these days.